This week on Dig Me Out, Tim and Jay review Fitzcarraldo by The Frames. We usually avoid albums like this, you know, to review just because I think it's less interesting when you and I have nothing bad to say about it. Mm-hmm. But it's just so criminally overlooked. Usually I'm behind the curve. Usually everybody finds out they're cool and then I figure that out much later. Hello and welcome to another episode of Dig Me Out. I am your host, Tim Minichi, and joining me, as always, Mr. Jason Ziak. Jay, I haven't asked you this in quite a long time. What you drinking? Coke Zero. No shit, so am I. Wow. Things Mine's are along. That's a good sign. Uh, I got a Cherry Coke Zero, though. I like a little, I like a little spice my Coke Zero. You're out of control. I know. Pushing the boundaries. A band that definitely pushed the boundaries. No, that's a bad segue. Scratch <laughs> that. We're not reviewing a we're not reviewing Faith No More. We're actually reviewing a band tonight that I actually got the CD back in college. Uh, it was one of those weird instances where and and rare instant instances where I was slightly ahead of the curve on a band. Usually I'm behind the curve. Usually everybody finds out they're cool and then I figure that out much later. But in this case, I was like almost I think like a decade ahead of everybody in terms of saying, "Hey, that band's not everybody. Obviously, we're fans of this band, but there was a small group of people who liked this band." And then it became mm-hmm. big, which we'll explain. And I'm talking about The Frames. And we're going to be reviewing their 1996 release, Fitzcarraldo. Uh, so, Jay, were you a fan back in the day of The Frames? And then I'll get into their popularity later on. Well, uh, he turned me on to him. I think it was one of the first bands that we sort of, like, connected over. Um, I had never heard of them. I remember you recommended the, the CD, and uh, it went from there. But was this a um, – I want to say this this album was a cutout bin mm-hmm. kind of album, wasn't it? Is that where yeah. you got it? Well, I think what it was is that at the radio station WFAL in Bowling Green, this was added to the rotation. I don't even think it was a heavy rotation. I think it was like thrown in the light rotation or if you want to play it rotation, like you didn't have to. And I think I played a couple of the songs and really liked it and found it in the used bin at either, um, uh, it would have been either Finders or Mad Hatters in Bowling Green where the record stores at the time. Finders is still there. I don't think Mad Hatters is there anymore. And probably got it for like a buck or two. Probably with the um, the hole cut in the spine, you know, yeah, where to, for the cutout. At the time, I didn't know that this was their second album. I think I figured that out much later on. And then at the time, of course, I didn't know. I, it was funny because the, the picture in the album, there's one picture, and obviously there was no internet to or in the form it was today, to reference what the band looked like and where they were from. I just remember looking at the picture on the inside of the CD and thinking, that guy looks a lot like Roger Daltrey. <laughs> so in your head, you uh, you imagine The Who playing these songs? Yeah, I thought, well, maybe this is Roger it. Daltrey's folk band. Well, I was confused because the, the album cover has the letters DC after the name. And I remember, yes. I think you and I even like called them the Frames DC for a while because we didn't even know. I mean, these are one of those bands where, you know, I guess the time is gone. But you would you would either, you know, dig through use, you know, CD stores or cut out bins and just try to based on what the album cover looked like and maybe what the song titles look like. You tried to find gold basically, you know, mm-hmm. you, for a dollar or $2, you'd, you'd buy a handful of CDs and bring them home and see if you found anything. And this was one of those records. So, you know, uh, uh, what the proper name of the band was, you know, you, you could only go by what you saw and it said the frames. And then in superscript, it says DC and then the album title is Geraldo. Yes. So, I think you and I were both like, I guess their name's The Frames DC. I don't know. It's kind of a weird name, but <laughs> I, it's not like you're going to hear them referenced on TV or something. There were a lot of things that were confusing about this band. I didn't know what Fitzcarraldo was in reference to. 
I, I didn't know why there was a DC on there. And it was, it was a long time before all this stuff was solved. But we can actually go through the history of the band, and it will explain away all of these Edu- mysteries. Educate me. I will educate you. History of the band. So the frames, minus the DC, were formed in Dublin, Ireland in 1990 by Glenn Hansard on guitar and vocals, and Colm Mac Colm Imare, I think is how you say his name. It's Col- Col- or Colm, C-O-L-M, Mac, M-A-C, then C-O-N, there's thir- three names, now fourth name, I-O-M-A-I-R-E. Yeah, that's a lot of names. Uh, he was on keyboards, violin, and vocals. So there were a lot of lineup changes, and we'll get into some of them. Uh, the first album was released in 1991 on island records it was called another love song it was re-released in 2010 with five bonus tracks this album actually came out twice the one that we're reviewing Fitzcarraldo, originally came out in 1995 on ztt records and the warner uk label now this lineup is hansard and omare or iomare or hard to pronounce it sorry Sorry, Calm, Colm, whatever. Uh, Graham Downey on bass and keyboards. Paul Brennan on drums. And Noreen O'Donnell on backing vocals. They had a slew of different guitar, extra guitar players, um, various uh, people in and out of the band for a number of years. And it was re-released in the United States in 1996 as The Frames DC because there was already a band called The Frames in the United States. Hence the DC. Why they went with DC, I don't understand. Because were they yeah. representing District of Columbia? You just would have thought it would be Frames UK. That would Well, usually, when a, yeah, because when a band does that, they, they localize their name usually by what they choose to put after it. So honestly, I thought they were from... they were. I assumed... My logic was okay. There's two bands called The Frames, and this one is from Washington D.C. Yes, <laughs> sort of like how this... maybe that sounds absolutely ridiculous, but in 1997 or eight or whenever we got this, it made perfect sense. No, it made perfect sense because I knew of at the time Suede, but in the U.S. they were called the London Suede because there was already right. a band called Suede. So there you go. Yeah. Our logic was sound. It was. <laughs> So the album gets re-released in the U.S. in 96. With the, it's the same songs, but in a different list, in a different um, uh, order, and different artwork. Uh, a couple years go past. Their third album, Dance the Devil, is released on ZTT in 1999. The fourth album is released two years later in 2001, For the Birds, on Plateau Records. couple more years, another album, fifth Burn the Maps in 2004 on Plateau Records. And then the last official uh, Frames record, The Cost, came out, on 2000, came out in 2006 on Plateau Records and then around the world on 2000, in 2007 on Anti Records. Now, The Cost is significant because there was a song on The Cost called Falling Slowly. Now, if you're familiar with Glenn Hansard who was also in a band uh, starting in 2005 called The Swell Season with Marquetta Erglova. They did a version of the song Falling Slowly for The Swell Season for the Once soundtrack, which starred both Glenn Hansard and Marquetta Erglova and was written and directed by John Carney, who was the bass player in the frames from 1991 till 1993, so on the basically on the first record, he left the band and became a television and film director in Ireland. The movie once was won the award for a best original song for Falling Slowly. So that's where I think most people know that song and some of the songs which we're going to be talking about, which appear in the movie once, but were actually frame songs. And were reappropriated for that movie. And then the last bit of trivia is Fitzcarraldo is in reference to a 1982 Werner Herzog film of the same name, 
which I believe Glenn Hansard referred to as a movie about a guy trying to take trying to pull a boat over a mountain, which is um, a very simplistic <laughs> interpretation of what that movie uh, is about. So that is the history of the band, which is brought to you by us. But if you would like to sponsor the history of the band, please visit digmeoutpodcast.com to support the podcast, buy a t-shirt, or make a donation via PayPal, and you can be the sponsor of the history of the band, and we will praise your name at this point. Fitzcarraldo. So we talked about that we both knew this record ahead of time. The reason why we're reviewing this record is it's smack dab in the middle of the 90s. It's not a grunge record. It's a little bit different. We've I don't think we've tackled many, if any, bands from Ireland during the 90s. And it just so ha- ha- happens that Glenn Hansard has a solo album coming out. It worked out well, Jay, didn't it? It's funny that it worked out that way. <laughs> well, almost almost uh, as if we planned it. I, I, you know, let me throw out something here. Okay. You're, I think you might be selling it a little bit short because there's something I thought about as I revisited this. Um, in, in some ways, this may have started something. Think about... Uh, I think year 2000 Coldplay comes out mm-hmm. we're sort of in a post OK Computer area where there's a lot of bands and and also maybe a post Oasis era, era, era where bands are you know trying to make smart pop that's um, you know earnest but radio friendly it's got a little bit of a you know edge it's got a slight bit of uh, rawness to it but at the end of the day you know they're just good songs that are you know appeal to both you know the male and the female demographic and um there's you know all those bands i listed they have a english or uk based you know sort of sensibility about them is this the first band to to do that whole thing to do what coldplay ended up doing with a song like yellow you know four years later or actually five years later because when I listen to like Revelate, which is the first song on the album, mm-hmm. you know, could this have been if marketed differently and better or marketed period in the, in the States, you know, could this band and that song have been as big as, as a song like Yellow? that's a good question and i think that this yeah i think this is a lot of about timing that this was a little too early if this had come out 98 99 i'm thinking of also that second travis record with why does it always rain on me which was a huge single and turn was another big single and it really ushered in that era of like almost not really singer songwriter but like that Quieter, so like song oriented, pop or something. What, what would you call that? It's like yeah, it's like badly drawn boy and and that sort of stuff. Where I think people had gotten burned out a little bit on the experimentation that Radiohead and Blur were doing because Blur got kind of experimental on their um, self titled album and then the thirteen album that came out later. And then Oasis had sort of imploded by that point. I think Be Here Now was such a disaster. You know, uh, London Suede had sort of fallen off. So I think like the major Brit pop bands had sort of uh, not not 
died, but they had gone in different directions. And there was this opening for, you know, I think U2 is a huge influence yeah. on Coldplay, on Travis, on and on this band. And U2 That's had so. dropped the ball as well. U2 had made back-to-back experiment, not dropped the ball, but in terms of yeah. making wider appeal music, they had sort of left that to, you know, other bands. And they came, they came back in the late 90s after Pop and after Zuropa and those albums. You know, obviously the single Beautiful Day is fairly um, close to what, you know, some Coldplay, some Travis. It's a little more rockin', but I much, guess maybe much the, simpler. Maybe um, Radiohead's The Bends. Is that the album that kind of started this? And then Radiohead sort of fairly quickly within an album, half an album, abandoned that whole direction of that record. And you know, I think some other bands like Travis took what Oasis was doing and, and what The Bends was like and started heading in that direction where it was, you know, more song based. I um, think there's two sides to this record and I think they hit at one half of it sort of hits at the post the bends and Jeff Buckley and those sorts of you know being being a little more bombastic with your vocals and actually singing. Mm-hmm. And I think songs like um, Angel at My Table which is a one of my favorites on the record and say it to me now um songs that are have a little bit of an edge to them obviously monument which has like a sort of an it's probably the most rocking song on the album and it has a bit of an stp vaseline riff to it There's a whole other side of this band which channels in like Van Morrison mm. and the much more uh, jammy and folky side to what the frames do. And I'm thinking of ter- of songs like Red Chord, um, Revelate gets there a little bit, In This Boat Together. Those songs are way different than, you know, Say It To Me Now has like there's there's parts of that song that have like trip hop beats and and electronic bass pulses and it's it's a lot yeah. different than than some of the more organic stuff that's going on in this record. Yeah, I think the I don't see the uh, I guess I don't, I I would disagree a little bit. I don't see the difference, the a huge difference between some of the songs. I do agree. Yeah, there are some electronic elements that are mixed in, uh, whether it be keyboards or a drum sample, but. I feel like they're done pretty seamlessly. Um, no, I'm not saying it's like two different halves. I'm saying there are certain songs where they definitely feel like the band got into a room and jammed on the song as opposed to him sitting down with an acoustic guitar and figuring out sure, a, sure, a, yeah. a whole song. You know, oh, yeah, like a song first. like um, Red Chord or In This Boat Together. There's a, uh, there's a folk element to it and an, mm-hmm. an underbelly to it that I think is what the band became defined as after this record and yeah. why and that's why I don't I like you know this is my favorite record by them I don't like the f- follow-ups as much um, they have their moments none of them are horrible but they tend to be more driven by answered not by a band concept and I think the, the thing I love about this record is um, there's definite chemistry here between the players on this album uh i think they all get their moments which is great um 
And I think the instruments kind of, they almost become characters on this record. You know, there's some really restrained but, but clever guitar parts. Yeah. Um, there's some really, you know, just great drum parts on here. Like a lot of like drag beats and just really playing um, with, I guess, the character of what's going on, both from a, a drum and bass standpoint. Um, very distinctive and, and tight. Um, and then there's a violin mixed in, which I think what's interesting is in some of the songs where it comes forward, what's cool about it is that it feels very, very integrated. Not A lot of times with a violin or any string in rock music, it can tend to feel tacked on. You know, it kind of just adds a little bit of drama at best. This sounds like very much in with the rest of the band to the point where you know, the, you can hear the rest of the band kind of strumming and playing as if it was being led by the violin. You know what I mean? Like, there's a very tight integration of, of everything going on rhythmically. Well, not only that, uh, but they actually will do things like have a violin and a guitar, like, do leads together, which yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. really cool when they double those uh, two instruments. And it's nice to hear a violin that isn't just there to add drama when it's actually like taking a melody from a different part of the song and then building on it. And, you know, sometimes you just add strings to make things sound important, but they don't really, they don't do that here. It actually, in a lot of parts, it, it plays the part of what a guitar solo would be. Revelate kind of does that. Like the violin solo at the end of Revelate could easily have been a guitar solo. Sometimes I need your revelation. Yeah, there's some magic on here. There, there's definitely, um, and, and that's what connected with me early on with this record. It, it was it was fairly influential. I mean, I, I think in terms of how I approach guitar, um, you know, and just uh, really trying to be tasteful about what you do. And it seems like everything that's played on here is is pretty considered. And um, you know, you're trying hard to to find the right thing to do without stepping on other people's toes or overplaying or getting in the way of the song but I think some of their contemporaries in doing that can you know get a little boring and I think what they do which is what I love about you know this era this time frame of Radiohead as well is that they know how to keep things interesting through the whole course of a song so even though the song you know for the most part might not be the most complex song ever Mm -hmm. Um, in terms of chord changes and and what have you, there's just a really good interplay between the rhythm and the guitar and the, you know, the, the guitar, the lead guitar, introducing the violin, you know, the dynamics of when to stop and when to raise tension. There's just all of that going on organically with the band for this record that you don't hear on the other records. Um, No, I was going to say that one of the problems with the other records is they're so, there's not a lot of diversity the way that this yeah. record has diversity. Yeah. And it's not just in terms of like they add some cool electronic elements here and there, but they just don't get loud. And Oh yeah, yeah. This album, even on the songs that aren't up tempo, they still build to crescendos at certain points, which is really nice. Like Angel at My Table, which is probably my favorite frame song. The drumming and the bass playing in that song is awesome. The The drummer's playing like these 30-second note hits on the snare rim at parts yeah. of the song. And the song, you know, builds and builds, and you're like, is it going to go to a bridge? Is it going to double the chorus? What's going to happen here? It just keeps going, and it's getting louder and louder, and just boom, just stops. Mm-hmm. It's like they could have tacked on, they could have, you know, done a key change or something ridiculous like that. But they just end the song. Like, they know, you know what? The song's over. Let's just go on. Mm-hmm. I know you're not the answer 
It's not, it doesn't drag on. None of the songs are like overly long. They don't have long middle sections or anything like that. No, I agree. Um, and it even does some clever things like, um, you know, in this put together. That song sounds like you, I don't know, maybe I'm in my own head, I'm seeing this. Maybe other people wouldn't see it, but I feel like I'm sitting on a boat rocking. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? <laughs> it sort of has that rocking back and forth. And well, it has like a like, funeral dirge feel. Yeah, and there's like um, this guitar part that comes in that's just brilliant, and, and it just builds this tension, and but it kind of feeds in to this, yeah, the dirge and sort of this rocking back and forth, and you know when the when the guitars come in, it's all it's kind of fuzzed out. It's got tons of great character to it, but everything's you know that's it, one of those songs where the rhythm of it when you get to the to the um, louder parts sound very much like they're driven by the violin, like a mm-hmm. violin concept of how you'd play rhythm, which kind of feeds in again to this idea of, you know, the kind of boat rocking back and forth feel. Just just all kinds of really just smart stuff like that. And that's the kind of thing like they may not even have realized they were doing that. You know, may, maybe they did, but, you know, you try to just, you get in a moment in time and everything just kind of comes together magically. You know, I get the sense that. Mm-hmm. That happened maybe quite a bit on this record. Don't think you can They do things that they shouldn't be able to, like giving it all away. Mm-hmm. That sh- that song should not work. It has elements of like a reggae beat, yeah, with with what the drums and the bass are doing, and then there's these crazy dissonant guitar lines over top of it, yeah. And somehow yep. he pulls it off. I think it's the vocals that pull it off because he doesn't he doesn't sing in that style, which would be right. so easy to like, right. you know, mimic the the cadence of a reggae song in with that beat but he just sings it straight over top of it and it it works it shouldn't but it totally works yeah that rhythm in in the hands of lesser musicians or what <laughs> could have been awful but yeah. it's uh it, it's very very cool and that's you know that's the kind of when you say you know when i say magic that's kind of what i'm talking about you know right. you pull together divergent parts and pieces from different areas and put them together and they all just kind of complement each other um but they and they don't get in the way of each other and it's never you know they balance not going in any one direction too far because you know there's some bass lines on here that have kind of a soul feel to them you said there's like a reggae thing and then they got a riff that kind of sounds like an stp kind of riff but it's just these different flavors of the band and none of them go too far off the reservation in terms of uh starting to sound like something they aren't or you know just not sounding authentic Mm -hmm. and kind of color it all together and it 
you know, it all holds together well. Said you found a song to sing And you're riding on a wave Whatever helps you get along the guitar playing especially some of the stuff that's going on uh the electric guitar playing which was um guitars was at the at this time was uh dave oldlam mm-hmm. uh he does he's, he's able to bounce around even just in different styles in mm-hmm. uh in the song to evergreen it's kind of a not quiet it's mid-tempo-y and there's a cool actually sort of preview to the swell season is that in that the verses have a a boy girl vocal back and forth not back and forth but they're du- he's singing yeah. and she's singing the the harmony with him which is what the swell season was all about between him and marquetta but when mm-hmm. they get to there's not really a, a really big chorus in that song but when they get to the chorus there's like this eastern yeah. like uh scale guitar lead that goes on it's really dirty and it's it's really cool and again in the wrong hands that could sound awful Mm-hmm. But he's able to pull it off, and he does. You know that one. He he pulls out that little bag of tricks in mm-hmm. giving it all away. It's the dissonance versus the reggae. In mm-hmm. um, uh, some of the other songs, it's just the right picking parts. Angel at the table has Angel at my table has a really cool picking that kind of reminded me of at times of like Ken, what Ken Andrews does. Like that could have easily been a Ken Andrews guitar picking part in that song. Mm. I think, but I kind of feel like he's. Everybody, like you said, everybody has a moment to shine on this record, and it, mm-hmm. it's really kind of magical at how they're able to all bring really cool elements and restrained and thoughtful. And maybe it's that's why it took you know almost four years between the first album and the second album. Maybe they spent a lot of time putting these songs together and throwing out bad songs and really working on uh, putting these songs. Or, or building these songs up to, so that they had the right parts in the right places because yeah. there's nothing there's nothing that's out of place or that you go ah it's kind of indulgent or this is kind of dull it's like yeah. it's really well put together and for a song for an album that could have been you know they could have easily gone 15 songs on this they stick to 11 songs which is nice too it's not yeah. it's not overly long which the the UK version is 10 songs with a bonus track so they actually the original version was actually even shorter so your face isn't listed on the uk version or um on the on the uk version your face is the hidden track yeah um there's there's one song on the uk version which is not on the american version and it's called roger and it's i actually think that that's the only negative to the u.s version is that they put monument at track three on the UK version <laughs> and on the American version it's at track seven. Oh, okay yeah I was, Which, I was, I was uh, when you said it I was thinking it was the other way around because I could see like in the US monument like a record company thinking like monument was going to be uh it was like said an SDP single or something th- that was the was pushed as the single I didn't play it but that yeah. was what was pushed as the single I don't know why they decided to move it back maybe they didn't like the song as much as it's definitely not indicative of, like, if there's a song, I don't know. I mean, it's a great song, and it fits on the record, but 
if it was one of the it's probably one of those situations where if you heard this song first from the band you would assume that it's all like this and it's not you know so there's a bigger there's a lot more to the band than, than that song that's just mm. happens to be one ingredient so not that record labels think that way they're like whatever people radio stations will play that's what we'll put a track three because three or four is usually where you put your single and um, actually evergreen was not on the uk version so hmm. i don't know why. i would think red, red chord you know i don't know, maybe that song takes too long to build but that always stood out to me as a single kind of material and not in 1996 yeah yeah <laughs> i think your best bet was with monument because i mean that was around the time yeah. of the second stp album so yeah that that totally made sense Maybe the second or third STP album. I'm not sure out of my timeline there, but or or the what I started off saying, Revelate. But yeah, but we weren't at. You know, I remember when when that uh, yellow, you know, that Coldplay single came out. It was pretty different, you know, at the time. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like mind blowing, but it was like, oh, this is kind of not what I typically hear on alt radio right now. You know, and uh, like I said, I, I think those two songs could be very. St- are very similar in terms of just not that they sound like each other. I mean, you know what I mean? Like the chords are different and everything's different, but just the kind of the parts and pieces that they're working with are not that far apart. And you know, the, the song is five years ahead of that. So w- was this album bigger in the UK? I get a sense that this band is actually fairly known, at least in Ireland. And I don't think so because although this, their first album came out on Island Records, which was a big label, and then this one came out on Warner UK. Everything after that was on either ZTT or Plateau, which I don't even think I don't think Plateau is even an international record label. I think it was just in the UK. I, I don't think that they were ever a huge band in terms of their UK following. Um, I might be wrong. Mm. If our UK listeners would like to uh, chime in on that and tell us that we are completely off, feel free to. Yeah, I think. I think we both had the, uh, so, so, you know, I started following this band with this record and bought all the albums after that. And I remember like probably in 2001 or 2002, um, I got on their mailing list and they would, you know, you could just tell by the, the, that he was probably sending the emails out and they were really like, just by looking at the activity of the band, they were really, um, not doing a whole lot. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, They, they were right on the edge you could see of of existing you know and trying to put together like trying to play a show here or there in the states you know to come over and play a show here or there and looking for a place to stay and you know that whole struggling band thing i mean you could see it through the through the emails and then all of a sudden that movie happened and like everybody was like oh this guy's amazing this is amazing i'm like that's my dude like (laughs) you were probably the same way you're like what you guys are just realizing who this guy is now like I've been listening to him for ten years at this point. Well, like, one of the one of the funny I'm things jumping in the bandwagon now. One of the funny things with this band, which I have a lot of like, oh, I didn't know that about this band happening all the time. I was a resident advisor in college my last year, uh, ninety seven, ninety eight, and one of the things that we all of the resident advisors did was uh, we before the school year started, we had like a week of like training, getting ready for the school year and we hung out with our um the, the dorm or the, the person in charge of our entire dorm our boss essentially and we like hung out and got pizzas and uh watched a movie one night and the movie we watched was the commitments and the interesting mm. thing about the commitments is glenn hansard plays a part in that movie and i had no i had been a fan of the frames and i had no idea yeah. that the guy who was in the commitments until probably five years ago that that was the same guy who was in the yeah. band that yeah, yeah. you know i ended up really liking uh what is it one of the uh one of the characters in pulp fiction has a frames t-shirt on that's the other piece of trivia oh well uh, yeah and I, and I don't mean like they were our one of our bands in the terms of like we knew everything about them because frankly right. it was like like you started off saying i mean until like probably within the last five to seven years it was still very difficult to find anything out about bands, especially bands like this. I mean, this band didn't have a huge website and, you know, like I said, they had an email list that he would write a, one email every month or two. And it was basically the context of like, 
uh, we're look we're hoping that we can play New York City. You know, we're working on a record. Basically, that's it. It wasn't. They wouldn't even go over like lineup changes or. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So when he when that movie happened, I, there was a disconnect for me. Like, this guy sounds familiar, and w- wait, what's going on here? Like, it took me a second to piece it all together, and then I realized, like, oh, that's the guy from the frames. Wait, wait what? <laughs> you know, yeah. sort of like the revelation happened, and um, I sort of felt a little bit like, okay, great, go back and listen to Fitzcarraldo, like. Yeah, exactly. You know, maybe these people that got into him because of the movie and that song, I'm going to guess they probably, if they dug any deeper, maybe they made it to the cost, you know, because Falling Slowly is on there too. But Well, that's the funny thing is that uh, Falling Slowly is a frame song. Say It To Me Now, which is on this record, is on the Once soundtrack. It's just odd that, you know, just the right circumstance can make a song a hit, regardless of the fact that it's a good song. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which I guess is... It's something that we're quite familiar with in terms of uh, this podcast of songs not getting their due. So. It's just, it's, it's insane to think, you know, an album a year or two after it came out was basically in cutout bins. And then what, 10 years later, 12 years later, suddenly songs from that are. Yeah, 10 years later. Culture. Mm-hmm. You know, they're suddenly revered. Yeah. Not that, that that one of these songs won a war, but you know, won the the Academy Award. But you know, there were songs on that soundtrack. It was all part of the same thing. It was the same guy. It's like all of a sudden, oh, this stuff's brilliant. It was just sitting there collecting dust, and you could have bought it for a dollar <laughs> or less. You could probably get this for free at this point, um, or one cent from Amazon or whatever it is. But it's just mind blowing. To it just proves that a lot of this. It's just opportunity. It's just somebody taking a second to give it another listen or listening all the way through or, you know, take some misconception they might have about a band and just listen with open ears and they make a decision that all of a sudden sets a whole chain of events and, you know, action that, you know, the band is all of a sudden known and otherwise they wouldn't have been. In terms of... Were the album better EP, decent single? I think we're both on board with were the album. We don't really have to. No, I mean, that. there's not even a part of the song on this record that I don't like. <laughs> Maybe I think, I've just listened to it too much and I've had it for too long, but there's just nothing about this I can even complain about. I agree with you there. There's, 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 there isn't a bad or or like sour note really. I mean, this this thing, it's kind of brilliant. I mean, the only reason. We'd usually avoid albums like this, you know, to review just because I think it's less interesting when you and I have nothing bad to say about it. Mm-hmm. But it's just so criminally overlooked. And the yes. fact that, it, like I just, you know, said that it was, it's been validated that stuff on here is very, very good. And, I, you know, there's a lot of people that don't know it exists. And I think it, you know, it has a lot of potential to reach the same it has a it has a lot of potential in it. So Absolutely. I'm, I'm just hoping and it gets a couple more people to go back and listen to it. So for folks who might not be familiar with either Glenn Hansard or the Swell Season or the movie Once or the Frames, I was trying to think of some outside the box uh bands that if you're fans of them, you might be interested in this band. Obviously if you're a fan of U two, uh this this might appeal to you, especially if you're a fan of say uh, the Joshua Tree. I would imagine that this is going to be this would be up your alley. Not so much if you're like a Zuropa Octum baby, but even then, you might hear some elements that you like. Uh, if you are a fan, this is a one that I think is a little bit out there, but I think kind of works. My Morning Jacket. I mm. think there are elements of My Morning Jacket, especially on their earlier stuff up until like Z. You could probably find elements in this band that you like. I think they've gotten weirder uh, on the last couple of records and a little less accessible than the earlier stuff, which was a little a little more rooted. Yeah. And, uh, a couple other bands, one that from the UK that I don't know if they're still around, but they were in the in the 2000s, Star Sailor. Yep. And then uh, a personal favorite of mine. I think if you're a fan of the Tragically Hip, you should check this band out. 
I think that I think that there's some similarities in some of the the hips quieter moments, uh, especially from Rotten Apples uh, up until oh Trouble at the Hen House through those records, even Phantom Power. So hip fans will know what I'm talking about with that stuff. So Jay, any, anybody you thought of? Um, there's there's a ton of artists. I mean, a lot of them are bands that we covered. Um, in you know, we I think we've gone over contemporaries of theirs, uh, newer bands. Oh God, I don't know. Like any of the beard rock stuff. I mean, if you're into that, this is like a way more interesting version, right, of that stuff and the um. Oh, I could go with like not a surf, you know, when they're not heavy mm-hmm. and loud, you know, that sort of thing. The, you know, I think it again. That's why I wanted to touch on this record. I think it would appeal to a lot of different people. I mean, I think there's enough band elements to it that you know, people who come from it more from a musician standpoint uh, and a player standpoint, I think there's enough here to appreciate. And for people who come from a songwriter. Um, just smart songwriting standpoint, I think there'd be enough appreciate vocally. I think we, I don't know, I'm not sure we touched on that enough, but you know, he, he's got a great, unique voice. Um, I don't think he mimics anyone, which is always nice. You know, it's, it's tough to, to find people who, you know, basically aren't copping somebody else's voice or, you know, he, he's really unique. He's got a lot of range. He can go from, from quiet to being pretty aggressive um so if you're into you know great vocals this has got it uh if you're into stuff that you can sing along to this has got it if you're into really good lyrics this has got it so i don't know i think that i think you've unless you only like metal which i'm assuming you probably aren't wouldn't be listening to this podcast right (laughs) you know what i mean unless you're like into one type of music only maybe then you're not going to dig this, but uh, and, and this is an album that will really reveal itself out during multiple listens. You'll hear different things. You'll hear layers. You'll hear, you know, when you listen to it in different ways. When I was driving around the car, the bass sounded awesome on a lot of these yeah. songs. Whereas you listen to it in headphones and you really pick up on a lot of the nuance in the vocals and the way that they're layered. I mean, it's just there's so many different elements to what make this record cool that. I don't, we can't even really cover it just in one podcast. So hopefully in the, in the samples that we've played during the show and, and um, that'll, that'll be enough to get you to go out and get this record. I, I'm going to, uh, you know, call out my wife on this one. She's a huge swell season Glenn Hansard fan. And she had never heard this record. We, I played it in the car and she was like, wait a minute. I know this song. I'm like, yeah, this is the frames record. And she's like, Oh my God, this is incredible. So See, right there. That's exactly what I'm saying. Yeah, there are Glenn Hansard fans out there and and once fans who have never heard this record, have never gone back, and I'm telling you, it's totally worth it. Yeah, so it's crim- it's borderline criminal. It is. There should we should start a, a a police organization for criminally overlooked albums <laughs> and start arresting people for the crimes <laughs> that they are committing. Uh, we should start a show. We actually we should have a show. It should be we called should Music Cops. And we go into people's music collection and we if we find like the one soundtrack, we'd be like, So I know she have the one soundtrack. Are you familiar with the frames? And they say no, and we slap the cuffs on them and go, <laughs> You're going to you're going to rock and roll jail. We're sentenced to five months of listening to nothing but We have to get David Lee Roth to be the judge. He'd be like, Boosty Boosty Bop Behind bars. I like this. I think we have just work come up, up with a new... I'm going to work on a treatment for this. I'm going to send it over to... Uh, uh, what's the guy that uh, does all the reality shows? Um, uh, Rob, uh, Rob Burnett. Yeah. I'm going to send it over to Rob Burnett and see if we can get this thing on the air by the fall. It was called Rock Cops. There we go. Damn! Damn, that's good. Nobody steal that. Rock Cops. <laughs> Call Steve Vai. We need a, we need a, we need a, a theme song. <laughs> Rock cops coming at you this fall on Spike Rock cops. <laughs> Damn, we can't even get VH1 Classic. I don't know. Be a good I wanna, fit for VH1 Classic, but I want to. I want to get nominated for one of those Spike Awards. 
you know, for the, uh, for the manly spike awards. Uh, yeah, I don't think this is very manly what we're doing. <laughs> it's pretty ner- music nerdy territory. We'll get George Lynch to be our, our um, like our, our muscle when we go and we bust somebody. He grabs them and puts them in a, in a headlock. I'm telling you, this is, this is gold. All right, we're going to work on this off the air. We want to thank everybody for listening and remind you, uh, if you like what you heard during this episode, please consider us c- Consider us when you are at iTunes. Leave us a little positive feedback. Hit those stars. Drop us a few nice words, and uh, we will greatly appreciate it. We will actually say, hey, so-and-so left us some positive feedback when somebody does. So that's another way to get on the show. And, of course, you can always visit our Facebook page uh, when we do our preview Fridays and you can post uh, comments on episodes and we will um, play them during the show. So that's it, Jay. That's it for the frames. We have spread the word. It's, we've done our duty. We did. What we, we do. What we can. We do what we can. Exactly. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. And we'll be back next week with another episode of dig me out. Want to leave feedback? Join the conversation at digmeoutpodcast.com for links to our Facebook page and Twitter feed. While you're there, support the podcast by visiting our donation and merchandise pages. And thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.